a golden ticket, a bizarre candy genius, an imaginative factory, Oompa Loompas that sing, all of that can only mean one thing. We're comparing Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. And this is the premiere episode, premiere episode of, uh, of uh, Retro vs. Remake. remake. podcast where we compare old movies and their remakes. You know, a lot of people have preconceived notions about remakes, and we're going to see if they're accurate. <laughs> they probably are. So Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was released in 1971, directed by Mel Stewart. The screenplay was written by Roland Dahl, the original author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with rewrites by David Seltzer. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was released in 2005, directed by Tim Burton, and written by John August. All right. Reggie, what is your experience with these movies? Or your first experience with these movies, I should say. First experience, you know, going back, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and I don't really fucking remember, to be honest. (laughs) I remember bits and pieces of it, so, you know, everyone remembers the music. I think, to me... The Golden Ticket song, the speech where Gene Wilder is talking about fizzy lifting drink. Even like the Gene Wilder when he does the role when he comes out of the factory. Uh, Gene Wilder's own idea. Yeah. Oh, great. Improving. <laughs> that was actually his stipulation for being in the film. He's like, I want to do this thing where I'm kind of walking on a cane and then I fall into a role. And that way the whole film, you're not sure if you can trust this guy. And that's okay. sort of the vibe that he carried throughout the whole film. So I was like, oh, all right. Look at that. Actors making decisions. Huh. Yeah, writers love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where those moments are iconic. And I remember that about the film. That there's a lot of fun little beats in the movie. And um, rewatching it was a lot of fun because it was like, oh, yeah, there's that thing that I like. How did you first get introduced to the film? I think I saw the first one actually in school. It was after school. They used to show movies sometimes. And I think that's where I first saw it. Yeah, obviously, kind of like you, you know, the music was just one of those things that just got stuck in my head. And, you know, since then, you've seen the influence of it in various TV shows. Like, like off the top of my head, I can think of, like, Family Guy and Futurama. Right. Did, like, the, the factory in their own different yeah. ways. And even reused some of the songs, too. I was thinking of the family guy, Oompa Loompa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think of the Futurama Grunka, Lunka. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, yeah, it's just really, I don't know, iconic stuff that obviously influenced a lot of people. Left an impression on enough people, left creative people where they reused it Absolutely. in other mediums. Speaking of capitalism, there's the, uh, that DirecTV commercial. DirecTV has, like, the NFL Sunday ticket. So they did, like, I have the Sunday ticket as a... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it, it was a, a complete cash grab, which, uh, speaking of that, the other movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, nice transition there. Hey, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Did you see this one in theaters? Yeah, I don't recall seeing it in theaters, but I had uh, two younger brothers. So we had it on DVD. This is weird. We weirdly watched it a lot. <laughs> okay. Not like a lot, but it's one of those films that I remember watching with my younger brothers making jokes about like um spoiler I don't really like the uh the remake here there are little beats that I like like when he tells the kid to stop mumbling even though he's talking oh, that was pretty normal. good yeah. like that type of shit was funny and like I used to say hey stop mumbling to my brother so there there is some fun to be had in this film but 
When you look for it, there's some joy. <laughs> you have to look for it. Yeah, I didn't see it in theaters either. I think I actually rented it on Netflix back in the, the old days when it was just discs. Yeah. So I remember watching it. I, you know, I had fond memories of the original and being left kind of, oh, well, that was a take, <laughs> I yeah. suppose. I heard it was more based on the book and, right. you know, I was a huge Tim Burton fan. It was 2005, so, you know, still kind of making good movies. Like he did remake Planet of the Apes before that, though. So. Oh, boy, I remember that. <laughs> But, you know, I'm still a big fan of Danny Elfman, you know, still a fan of his music. So I was like, oh, this would be great to hear the two of them reunited right. and some interesting new music and new things to look at. Oh, but, boy, um, boy yeah. were you surprised. <laughs> boy, was I surprised. So that's my uh, exposure to the new one. And I've only, I haven't watched it as many times as you. I think I only watched it that one time and right. before Smart. this. <laughs> Smart. So only two times for me, as opposed to the original, which I've seen ad nauseum, I'm sure. Which, you know, it's actually funny because re-watching it and the fact that, like, we had it on DVD and I didn't remember it. Anything but the mumble line was like, so I was watching it again and I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't know, like, tonally the two films are very different. They are very different. But before we get into the comparison, let's mm -hmm. do a brief synopsis just in case anybody's not familiar with That's true. You may not have seen these uh, great films. And just to, just to put it up front, obviously... Um, we compare retros and remakes, and I know the new one's not really a remake, but just based on the original book. But still, since they're based on the same source material, I think it, it's a perfectly good comparison to make. I think so. They're not exactly the same plot, so I'll just be covering most of these similar beats. My the movie starts with our protagonist, Charlie Bucket. Charlie is kind, earnest, and very poor. We learn about Willy Wonka, the greatest candy maker in the world. We also learn of the contest that will give five winners a tour of the mysterious Wonka factory. Five golden tickets are placed in five random Wonka bars, and the world goes crazy trying to find the tickets. The winners are the heavyset Augustus Gloop, a very spoiled Veruca Salt, a gum-chewing Violet Beauregard, and a TV-slash-video-game enthusiast Mike TV. After a claim of acquiring the fifth ticket is proved false, our protagonist Charlie finds the final ticket. The ticket lets you take one other person with you, and Charlie takes his Grandpa Joe. When Wonka Day finally arrives, all five winners patiently wait to enter the factory. We finally meet the odd candy genius himself, Willy Wonka. It is quickly revealed that this is a not-so-normal tour at a not-so-normal factory. One room we come across is a candy land where everything is edible. Here we meet the Oompa Loompas, the workers who run the factory. We also lose our first winner, Augustus, as he falls in the chocolate river and gets sucked up in pipes. Afterwards, everyone goes on a bizarre riverboat ride. Then we arrive at the inventing room. Here we lose Violet as she turns into a blueberry after eating experimental gum. The next person we lose is Veruca Salt, as it is determined she is a bad egg or nut. The next room is a TV room, transporting Wonka bars into televisions. Mike TV has himself transported, and we lose him as well. It should be noted that every time we lose a child, the Oompa Loompas sing a song. Charlie is the last child left, and after a bit of conflict, Charlie is given control of the factory, and he lives happily ever after. Okay, so that's our synopsis. Let's, now let's get to let's, some comparisons. Let's get, yeah, let's get between the lines here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to start from the beginning, one of the things that you notice, if you have a pulse, there's two completely different tones that you're picking up from these movies. Like the original, it's bright. There's um, kind of like upbeat music. And actually, the music at the beginning kind of alludes to some songs that you're going to hear later in the film. But like, I remember watching it and just thinking, man, this is, like, this is really popping. Like, the, all the colors popping and it feels, I don't know, it feels like perhaps there's going to be a film about a, a whimsical chocolate factory <laughs> that, uh, you know, may really pertain to the dreams and uh, hopes of children. 
And then the other film, I just see like this dystopian kind of a world. Like it's very dark. I mean, it's Tim Burton, so like that's kind of expected. But I'm getting less chocolate factory vibes. And like I have this note, and I'm not sure why. I'm really getting like an apocalypse now vibe throughout okay. the entire film. You expected Martin Sheen's head to pop off through the chocolate in the opening yeah. credits. <laughs> yeah. Even like the heavy use of flashback. To me, Johnny Depp is my Brando in this. Uh, <laughs> okay. In this particular film. Yeah, I guess we should also say that the original is like a musical, right? While the the 2005 one, the Tim Burton one, is a movie with music in it. Not necessarily right. a musical, because right. not everybody's singing just the Oompa Loompas and that, that little, you know, it's a small world thing yeah. he has there. Which is probably the catchiest song in the new one. You get, like, uh, in the first film at Bill's Candy Shop, you get the Candyman Ken song. You know, it's, it's whimsical. You know, I don't trust people um, with middle parts, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, just, uh, you know, your classic uh, confectionery, you know, really candy seller, if you will. Again, beginning of the film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Close up on chocolate. Wonka bars. Like, they're giving you all this information about Willy Wonka. Visually, the candy shop kind of shows you how hyped people are about this Wonka candy. It's clearly important. And in the other film, you kind of get a lazy voiceover. Yeah, and I think the original movie does, you know, it makes the candy, makes it fun, enjoyable. That There's Mr. Wonka, he's an incredible person. That Candyman's an incredible person, and right. they're celebrating him. And then it's, it's a celebration, it's a fun party. And then in the other one, it's just dark. Right, right. <laughs> and then dreary, and then we're at a toothpaste factory, and we're having these flashbacks, and there's the narrator, which is not in the original. No narration, no flashbacks in the original. But right. Tim Burton uses them. And we don't need these flashbacks, we, I feel. The source material is not very complex. There's there's not a lot that we need to do to bridge out and build out this, this plot. I mean, right. you essentially need a, a chocolate factory. You need a, a, <laughs> a chocolatier. And you need children. Um, you know, if you hit those notes, you can kind of figure out the rest. And the flashbacks, you start getting into numerous people's backstories that never really come back numerous backstories in the play. That are never touched on again. Like, so, like, the first one I think we get is just about Charlie's dad, who's not a character, who's dead in the original. So And he's here in this new one, and we get flashbacks of him working at this right. toothpaste factory, and we learn that he's fired. And I think that's supposed to make us feel bad for Charlie, that they're poor, and right. uh, it's, things are really dire. We know that he's poor because the narrator already told right. us. So it's it's it just seems like all this unnecessary stuff. It's like the narrator told us, why do we need this other backstory about it? So we can learn that Charlie likes making things out of toothpaste caps. Sure. To be fair to the uh, the new movie, the dad is in the book. Again, there is no real backstory. It's just, again, they are poor. But um, I actually think cutting the dad out in the original film is a smart choice. It doesn't really add much. It kind of does a better job of explaining their poverty than kind of bumming everyone out that his dad just is out of work. Whereas he's just kind of out of the picture and you can make your own assumption about what that is in the original film. But it makes a little bit more sense to me that, you know, he's got these bedridden grandparents and his mom trying to make ends meet. Charlie actually trying to make ends meet. Uh, I guess in both films, Charlie works. The dad, though, is in the original, doesn't really add much to the story. So I think it's a smart cut. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything. And then just going back to what you said, you said like, oh, it puts them in a dire situation. They're not even that, like, upset. Like, after he gets fired, he's with his wife, and he's like, oh, it'll be okay, right. we'll be fine. It doesn't really add more despair to the buckets. No. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think he was necessary. He didn't really do anything in the right. beginning, and he didn't really do anything at the end when we see him again. 
character we actually, didn't. Yeah, he's at the end. Yeah. Yeah, and the studio actually didn't want him hmm. in the movie. They didn't want the dad because they wanted Willy Wonka to be more of the father figure to Charlie. So they kept saying that to Tim Burton. Oh, let's just make Willy Wonka the father figure. But no, nope, we got Charlie's dad instead. I'm glad that you said that because when you when you think about it, ultimately that is what Wonka represents. So there's nothing redeeming about any of the dads in the film. They don't do much, and they're they're pretty worthless. I agree with the studio there that I would have tried to push Tim to make that cut as well. And now, like, the whole movie, I'm like, man, this guy's, like, failed his family. You know, it's not his fault, but, you know, <laughs> kind of bums me out, you know? Yeah, well, that's sort of what the movie does. <laughs> Just instead of giving you hope, it's another bummer after bummer. But we'll, we'll get into that yeah, more, yeah. I suppose. Going over these flashbacks again, and then we see another flashback of Wonka building a chocolate palace in India. Again, to be fair to the new movie, there is a reference to a chocolate palace. I guess they wanted to include that. But again, another smart cut. It does nothing for the film and honestly kind of gets into racist territory <laughs> and uh, you really don't want that for children's movies. It's a cool idea, the chocolate palace. I mean, I think children would love that, that they've lived in a house made of chocolate. But it just kind of melts and then you... Ha and it doesn't add anything to the story. It doesn't affect... Willy Wonka's decision because like you hear like it melted and then he was just asked to make another one but he couldn't at that point because too many people have been spying on him if, if part of the story was like he built this chocolate palace and because it melted it affected his creativity or something mm -hmm. if it had done something to affect him but there was no consequence of right. building the palace and having right. it melt so it's a cool idea but Again, it's another thing we just really didn't need. And these flashbacks happen all the time. Yeah. And they really slow down the story. For me, I felt like, oh, another flashback. Just, perhaps putting it there was to try to add some sort of, like, whimsy or kind of show how impressive of a chocolate yeah. maker this guy is. But, like, doesn't really matter when you're about to take a journey through a fantastical chocolate factory. So, so it's a bit redundant because you're going to see it correct. anyway. The chocolate castle or whatever it is, again, is just kind of more chocolate that we don't need because we're about to go to a chocolate factory. So Actually, now I'm thinking about it, it might even take away from actually going to the factory well, because, oh, I mean, I saw, I just saw a palace built of chocolate. Mm -hmm. So a room where everything is edible isn't as impressive because I already That's know fair. he can do that. That's fair. In the original, you're not giving any idea of what he can do. So when you see a whole room, if everything is edible, that's like, wow. But yeah, I think that, it could take away from the magic of the factory. That's a good point. There, There's more mystery about this guy in the first film. And like, they're trying to make the mystery in the second film because no one knows what the hell's going on. Another kind of difference between the two films, the Tim Burton film, the grandfather used to work at the factory. And so he has direct insight into yeah. the character and the inner workings of this factory. He may not know how it runs now, but he kind of understands it. Whereas like the golden ticket thing kind of works because what the hell is going on in this place at all? You know, the fact that there are people that know about chocolate castles and worked in the factory and met the guy, it's taking away a lot of the mystery and the allure of uh, Willy Wonka. That's a good point too. That's exactly it. And just another example, we don't need these flashbacks. Don't need them. I mean, the backstory, Grandpa Joe, I think he explains in the original that, you know, just a little bit of Wonka's backstory, but he didn't work for sure. him. So maybe he could have just done the same thing in the new one. I, I know you're trying to do something different, but it's like, his backstories just drag on for me. It, yeah. And the biggest backstory, of course, is Willy Wonka's backstory. So let's, 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 let's go. Let's, let's, we're <laughs> let's we're go in. We're jumping right in. We are jumping right All into right. this. So in this new movie, we're given a backstory of Willy Wonka. You're introduced to a young Willy Wonka who's trick-or-treating, mm -hmm. just mouth 
covered in every machinery of braces. He's got the most ridiculous braces rig I've ever seen. Yeah. Worse than Lisa Simpson in that one episode. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess we're supposed to get this backstory that he had a tragic childhood because he never had candy, and then right. his dad's house disappeared, which is never explained. Not explained at all. That's a good point. His dad, who's a uh, Dennis uh, Wilbur Wonka, if you will, <laughs> who's like ultimately concerned with the health of his son's teeth. I mean, clearly, the types of braces that this kid had, I mean, like, there seem to be big dental problems here. So, I mean, we're framing him as kind of like the bad guy here when really he's a career professional who's trying to make sure that uh, his son continues to have uh, healthy teeth. And from the son's perspective, what, what we have here is a father that, that never let him explore that part of childhood. That fun, whimsical nonsense that is just eating chocolate. Like, it's by far, it's terrible for you. No nutritional value. But it's something we let kids do. So, like, it's so weird that we even explore that story. Does his dad need to be a dentist for us to understand his motivation to be chocolate man? Again, I think it, it's one of those things that takes away the mystery of, like, why is he so weird? Right. Why is he like this? They try to, I guess, give it some depth, maybe just so you feel sorry for him. I, I kind of like not knowing how he yeah. got to this point. I think uh, Stephen King said, like, everybody has a backstory, and none of them are interesting. Yeah. Like, we don't need to know that his dad was, like, really strict about his teeth. And, by the way, if his dad was really strict, why is he letting him trick-or-treat? Okay? He's not going to get yeah. apples on Very there, true. right? Very true. So he shouldn't be doing that in the first place. But yeah, it's just it's another thing that takes away from the mystery of who this guy is. Right. And mm, that's fair. didn't need it. The whole thing where the father takes the candy and he's like, well, obviously none of this is good for you. And he throws it into the fireplace, you know. like For a children's film, I'm just really not sure why we need parents throwing candy in fireplaces when for the remainder of the film, we're going to have parents trying to get their kids various forms of candy. Like, I just don't really understand that Willy Wonka's literally digging through ashes for candy. Like, it makes zero sense. Maybe it's done because, like, we see how terrible his childhood was, so these kids are just so lucky. You should be lucky that you're allowed to have candy. Maybe there's, like, that juxtaposition or, like, how the candy man was not allowed to eat candy right. his whole life. Some, makes like, it tragic. Sort of cool, yeah, tragic yeah. irony. Again, that sounds like a broken record here. I don't think it added yeah. anything. I and I don't see that making him stuck in this sort of man-child behavior or this mentality that he's in. No, I mean, we'll give him this in terms of backstory. When he pulls the chocolate out of the fireplace and he eats it and he discovers the joy of chocolate, he's taking notes about chocolate, he's clearly obsessed, and he vows to be the greatest chocolatier ever. And his father says, well, if you go down this pathway, I won't be here I mean, literally, because the house goes missing for some reason. But uh, So, I don't... Is there a reason for that, or is that just supposed to be kind of a comedic thing, that now the house is completely removed? I never... Yeah, there was never really a solid explanation. Like, it's, I guess it's funny. Yeah. That now it's not there, and he was... What he said became literally true. Right. But... Does he have powers or something? Right. That's, that's a great question. Because yeah. I mean, then we see it at the end, and it's, it's still intact, it's... Yeah. I don't know. It's confusing to me. But I guess, yeah, I guess it's funny to kids, right? Yeah, I guess so. I, I did like the, we were talking about this, I did like the beat where when he leaves and he's walking and they have sort of in the background like flags from all different countries making it appear that he's traveling the world learning about chocolate. It turns out he's just like at the museum and yeah. uh, 
That was a good beat. That, I didn't see that coming. That was, that was a good chuckle I got out of that one. You know, like, we, we have to, like, look for these fun beats in this film. Whereas, like, I'm kind of going back over my notes. The first film, and there's, there's like, a lot of little fun things that happen throughout the film. Like, uh, there's a science teacher in the first film, Mr. Uh, Thurpentine. And, I mean, classic douchebag, this guy. A know-it-all. He's lording over the kids that he knows more than them. Which, I mean, by definition, the teacher... Uh, would and he's really supposed to impart knowledge but, but like there's a funny beat where they find out about the golden tickets and he's like oh fuck golden tickets like class dismissed yeah. and there was like a, a beat where um, basically he puts class back in the session and then they find out that like tickets are available so he re-dismisses class and like little stuff like that is uh, is fun the character uh, like you were saying he doesn't actually know how to like divide fractions and stuff like that yeah, well, like when he asked Charlie, how many bars did you get? Um, two. So 2,000, uh, or 200 of 10,000. It's like, right. no, just, just two. Two? I can't, I can't get a percent from two. It's a little bit of, like, the teacher really doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Which I think, you know, kids would definitely enjoy. Because I'm sure a lot of them think their teachers don't know what they're talking right. about. All right, right. It's fun stuff, you know? Well, I think the, the fun of the frenzy in the first one. I frenzy. Really, yes. I really enjoyed that. Yes. It, it was really good. They, they really make it seem like this is a worldwide phenomenon. These people across the globe are trying to get these tickets. It, there's just chaos for these tickets, and it, it comes across in the film. Yeah. I mean, there's the funny ones that I like. Uh, was the one with the woman, her husband got kidnapped. Oh, yes. <laughs> she has to decide... <laughs> Whether she wants to give up the box of chocolate or her husband. And mm-hmm. she's like, how much time do I have to think about this? Like, that's a hilarious beat. I remember even laughing at that as a kid. Like, knowing, like, oh, that's serious. Like, because it was such a serious tone. But then you come with this funny beat. It's so funny. And so- then there's the auction where, like, the queen oh. is the one of the people. Yeah. My, my liege. <laughs> Your highness. It's, it's good. And a lot of that fun is... I just feel a lot of that fun's missing from the new one. I guess absurdism, it's like the absurdity in that film serves a purpose in terms of uh, bringing levity to the film. And I mean, like, the film itself is just... It's a light film. You feel like you could, like, watch that with a small child and, you know, not have to try to explain... Some jokes might go over their head. Sure. But then there's plenty of jokes that they'll get. Right. Definitely. And, like, even if they don't get it, it's it's a whimsical film. Yeah. So. And then you, you feel whimsical as you're watching it the entire time. And you don't have to get it because, yeah, the the characters, you just feel like, oh, this is fun. Everybody's just having fun. Mm-hmm. It's silly. And I'm enjoying this. And there's candy, too. So it's, it's win-win if you're watching it. Oh, yeah. Get. Absolutely. For some reason, I have here marketing ploy. And, uh, you know, perhaps this golden ticket thing was a marketing ploy, but uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think the movie's trying to explore this, but it seems like a capitalist plot to sell candy bars. Yeah, definitely. I think somebody even says it. Um, like, they're going to sell a lot of chocolate bars. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's smart stuff. This Wonka, I think he really is ingenious. I thought you might have been talking about the real world because the reason this movie <laughs> is called Willy Wonka and not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is because the production company had a deal with Quaker Oats, mm. who were putting out a new Wonka bar, and they wanted uh, Quaker Oats to front money to make the movie. So in order to match the Wonka brand, they renamed the movie Won- Willy Wonka ah. Factory for this new bar that um, Quaker Oats was making. Fair enough. Which ultimately, I think it ultimately failed because it would melt 
too easily or something, so they actually they eventually pulled it from shelves. Wow. But that's the reason it got named uh, Willy Wonka, because of the, the mighty dollar. Fair <laughs> enough. Trying to make money. I think um, one of the other things that we haven't made note of yet, in the first film, there's this mysterious character. Um, anytime someone gets a golden ticket, a man with a scar on his face comes by and whispers into the uh, ears of the children. Again, more like foreshadowing. We didn't really get into this, but like the Wonka's factory was shut down for three years and then just kind of started producing things again. And uh, Willy Wonka, you know, shut down because things were being stolen, ideas, candy, things of that nature. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing that you see in this film that you can add some mystery. It's pretty fun, fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, Mr. Slugsworth, or Slugsworth, I guess yeah. he's just referred to. In the original, briefly re- mentioned in the Tim Burton movie, and he's not the only... Uh, stealer of Wonka's ideas. Right. I guess he adds a little bit of that uh, sort of like an element of danger. Like there was a right. ominous music right. playing when you saw him and you know he, he was up to no good. He definitely wanted to steal the everlasting gobstopper. Right. He's like just get me one. I liked him. I know he wasn't originally in the book or he didn't have such a big part right. uh, and he definitely didn't have a part at all like in the remake. But he, he did add something because you know all these kids, like all of them were like gonna take that Everlasting Gobstopper, and they wanted to make money off of this guy. Yeah. You heard TV Mike and his mom talk about it when they were briefly on that machine that ran on like soda. Like he's like, "What about Mr. Slugsworth?" And she's like, "Just keep your eyes open and your mouth shut." And then you see Veruca; she did like cross her fingers when he gave her the Gobstopper. Mm-hmm. And then even at the very end, when Willy Wonka says, "You lose, good day, sir." The Grandpa Joe goes, come on, Charlie, let's just give it to Slugsworth, right? Right. So, like, this whole thing, throughout the whole movie, there's this, there's this conflict. And mm-hmm. I think it makes it, you know, there's some interest. Obviously, there's conflict with what happens to all the children, but throughout the whole... It, there's so. stakes. Again, it makes sense. Wonka shut down. Three years later, he's back. He's got this new candy. I gotta figure out what it is. Here's Willy Wonka doing this uh, five golden ticket ploy. I'm gonna go directly to the source. I'm gonna try to get the people that are going to go visit this candy factory because that is the prize for the golden tickets. I'm gonna try to get them to steal this gobstopper for me. But Slugsworth is there immediately when these kids each find a yeah. ticket. And obviously we find out he works for Wonka. I think I read somewhere they originally wanted him, the tickets to be planted mm-hmm. for these five specific kids. But they didn't they didn't uh, end up doing that. In the final cut. But in the new film, there, there's an allusion to the different songs that the Oompa sing and how it seems to have been pre-written or like predetermined. Kind of adds to that idea of like a predetermined outcome for uh, for this contest. So All right. Two. So the music, um, the original music, was done by Brickman and Newbert, uh, musical writing team, and the new music was done by Danny Elfman. How does he like that music? Which one do you like better? For the new one, like the Oompa Loompa stuff, was, is that the music that they yeah. wrote? Was there any other music uh, in the film? Don't forget the Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka. That, that was a fun movie. one. That yeah. is a fun little jingle there. Yeah. I can see that Like if you call the Wonka factory and you're put on hold, that'll be the music yeah. they're playing. That was actually um, the other funny beat in the film. Um, when they go to the chocolate factory and they're trying to see what's going on and there's this whole like display. It's kind of like, it looks like it's a small world and they have the Willy Wonka song and then it like, starts like going up in flames like little animatronic people I guess they're broken and now everything's on fire funny funny beat funny beat and that song is by far the best song in the film 
Absolutely, yeah. It's the only one I remember. I know Danny Elfman was going for like different styles of music with each of the Oompa Loompa songs, and you know I could appreciate that. But ultimately, like none of them were memorable. I couldn't, no. I couldn't hum one to you right now if you gave me a million dollars or all the chocolate in the world. Because uh, it's food. Something, something, that's all I got. Is that, is that really it? <laughs> I think so. And you kind of mentioned it before. Obviously, the original's a musical, so people are singing. And not only do you hear that music when they sing, but you hear instrumental versions of it throughout the film. Right. So it just keeps getting more and more ingrained into your head. You just, just get stuck, and you can't get it out, because it's, it's catchy to begin with, and then you right. keep hearing it throughout the film. It's not like forced down your throat, but it's in the background, and then, right. oh, okay, so, and then when you hear it again, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. from when I heard it earlier in the movie. Um, there are multiple iconic songs from the first film. Pure Imagination to Me is a great, great song. The Golden Ticket, another good song, is you, like we said, is referencing a lot of different things. These songs are memorable. They actually help drive the plot, which I think is what's sort of missed in a new film. Because they do music when um, the kids do whatever bad thing they do and they're turned into blueberries or sucked up pipes. They're a little bit bigger in this new one. It shows what's going on. It doesn't move anything. Whereas the other film, like the Golden Ticket song, you now understand how Charlie feels about getting the Golden Ticket. There's elation. He's running down the streets. It all plays in really well. Pure imagination. I get it. You got a magic chocolate factory, dude, and that's just like anything can happen in this chocolate factory. I'm not getting that from the new film. Yeah, I, that's a good point. I really I agree with you that the music in the original definitely helps drive the point a lot more. Or it goes right. deeper than, I guess, words would in that same amount of time. Right. It really captures the emotion or the moment really well at the yeah. time. And then you take him for that ride and you go with it because they are such catchy songs. They're right. really good. And yeah, the new one, well, it's, you know, it's a lot of flash and pizzazz, but it's, there's, there's not a lot of substance in the new songs. And, you know, it's Oompa Loompa songs, so they're singing about the kids, but there's not really a message there. I was, like, trying to listen, because in the original, uh, after every kid does something bad, then Oompa Loompa's, the song is about what the kid did, right? Mm-hmm. You eat too much, you watch too much TV, you chew too much gum, <laughs> you look sure. like a cow, it's whatever. Right. It's like a message to kids, and this is a kid's movie, so don't do this, don't do that. Right. There's even a message to parents. During Veruca Salt's song in the original, it's, it's a message to parents. Don't raise your kid to be a brat. It's not right. the kid's fault. It's the mother and the father. No, absolutely. So that, that's a bold move. <laughs> in a children's movie being like, hey, this is on you. Don't put it on the kid. It's on the parent if the kid turns out this bratty. So, you know, I applaud them for life lessons, not only to kids, but to parents as well. It's no, absolutely. pretty impressive. But in the new one, they say the kid's name, and then they might briefly mention, like, oh, this kid's a little annoying. But here's other distractions, distractions. They didn't, there was no message. Right. As a collective, the whole thing just feels flat to me. Yeah, just going back to what you said, like, pure imagination. That's the first song um, you hear when you're in the factory, Mm -hmm. in the first real room that you're in the factory. So it really sets the tone for not only that room, but what you're going to experience the entire time you're there. And it's this wonderful, whimsical, imaginative world that's different from everything else. And again, you you accept it. You want to go for this ride because this is everything. This looks wonderful. This sounds wonderful. I want to go here. This is exactly where I want to be. And then in the new one... You know, <laughs> you're kind of in that big edible room, and you're just like, okay, it, it looks like Tim Burton designed, and you can right. appreciate that. But yeah, the the sense of wonder, or whimsy, it's it's not there anymore. It's not as bright and colorful as the, no. the original. I'm like all over the place, but like, uh, you catch the like the snozberries line, like that quote, the snozberries oh, yeah, taste like snozberries. The entire wallpaper 
thing doesn't exist in the, the remake. So I was like, aw. I mean, for nurseries, that makes sense. And that's pretty... a great idea. <laughs> you can have sticky walls that way. One of the things that I think um, doesn't get explored in either film, after, I don't know, one or two kids started kind of getting clipped for random shit, you would think people would be a little more careful. They'd start wising up. Yeah, you <laughs> Maybe would... I shouldn't deviate from what you... Mr. Wonka says. You would think. That's their hubris thinking that they're so good and mm-hmm. that they're not. It's not going to happen to them. I think well, I could. I could see that being relating to that. Oh, that'll never happen to me because right. I'm, I'm careful and I'm not going to do that. And you know, I could see kids being that naive. Okay. Like, oh, it just happened to them. Yeah, that's not going to happen to me. Speaking of the kids and uh, all the stuff they do, fizzy lifting drink. I don't think they explore that at all. I don't think it was in the book. How do you, how do you say it? fizzy? Fizzy sip? lifting drink. I think it's like right after we lose Rufus Salt, we're kind of right before we lose Mike TV, there's a bit of an aside in the original where they go into a room, you know, Willy Wonka's like, hey, fizzy lifting drink, huh? We're working on that. Charlie and, and the grandpa, uncharacteristically, really, just uh, kind of go in and, and drink some of it. Of course, they start floating in the air. It's all fun. Everyone's having a lot of fun until they realize that they're heading towards a fan blade and they find out that they can get down by burping. They survive, they join back in the tour, not much more is said about it until later in the film. One, that scene is iconic, them floating in the air. Again, the music during that, before you find out how much danger they're in, is a lot of fun. Willy Wonka was very aware that they stole fizzy lifting drink. This is a great scene too, like the fizzy lifting drink, you get a more of a glimpse in the Wonka because you see his office. He's got like, uh, everything's in halves. He has half a lamp, half a calendar. Yeah, they did that because like, they didn't want to just have like a boring old office like you're in this magical factory and then all of a sudden it's just a regular office. So right. they, they, they had to do something to make it a little bit unique. So that's why everything is halved there. Ah, very nice. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. I said good day. Great scene. Great scene. Actually, the the child actor there had no idea that Gene Wilder was going to start yelling. They didn't want him to know, so that his reaction would be really genuine. Oh, wow. And Gene Wilder felt really bad because he sort of developed this relationship with the boy where he, they were really friendly and he, he really wanted to tell him that he was going to start yelling there so he yeah. wouldn't get scared but uh, the director had the final say so okay. he didn't know until the actual shoot. Oh damn. Yeah. No, I mean it's a great scene and everything leading up to it uh, is great. The, if we just backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the fizzy fizzy lifting drink was fizzy, <laughs> fizzy, fizzy lifting drink. drink is not in the Charlie and the Ch- Chocolate Factory because it's not in the book but I think it's a good scene because right. like you said uh, Charlie's not that great. He does something bad. Right. You know, and so I think it adds a little bit of depth to his character that he's a good kid, but you know, it wasn't his idea to drink the fizzy lifting drink. It was Grandpa right. Joe's. So he got, he, you know, I, I'm going to follow an adult. He, if he says it's okay, then I'll do it. Right. So it's not totally on Charlie. It's more on Grandpa Joe. Sure. Uh, but still, That's it gives them a little on. bit of an edge there. Right. They're not perfect. And that was one of my problems with the new one. Like, Charlie is so perfect. And Charlie in the chocolate factory doesn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. He's such a pure boy. He wants to, one point, sell the tickets so they can get right. money for right. food. And it's like, no, go to the chocolate factory, Definitely you chocolate stupid factory. boy. Anyway, so yeah, it gives Charlie and Grandpa an edge. Like you said, they're not, he's not, not perfect. All the kids did something bad. Yeah. But then Charlie has to redeem himself. So that, it gives his character more of an arc. There's no character arc for the Charlie and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's nothing he has to overcome. He just right. stays the same the whole time. I think in the new film, the scene where um, he's trying to sell the ticket, 
That scene is uh, pretty strong in that film where Charlie's uh, debating about selling the ticket and not Grandpa Joe, but the other grandfather basically says that, you know, they're printing money every day. There's only five of these tickets in the world. Why would you trade something so rare for something as common as money? And I think it's a it's a powerful scene that is probably overlooked because the film has a lot of struggles. But I think that was actually one of the better scenes in that movie. What his grandpa says, I like. I don't. Yeah. I just. I guess for me, it's hard to buy that he would even think of selling it. Just, he was a kid that made Willy Wonka's chocolate factory out of toothpaste caps. Right. He has pictures that he drew in his bed. I yeah, can't. You, I can't believe that you, he would actually think of selling yeah, it for money. For me, I, it, well, I didn't buy it, but I, I did like the lesson that his grandfather. Sure. Showed. Like, you know, money is not everything. You know. Yeah, so I do like the fizzy lifting drink because it does give Charlie an arc, and he has to instead of giving. You know, slugs worth the gobstopper for money. He decides, no, this man's cruel. I don't even want anything. I don't want to make money off this man. So I'm just going to return it, and then everything goes happy. That's apparently an ending that Roald Dahl didn't like. He didn't like that they changed the ending. And I guess Charlie and the Chocolate Factory stuck with it more, that just bring the whole family in. I'm not exactly sure what his gripe with the ending was, but he really hated it. In the book, he just kind of end up at Charlie's house. There is that family element that I also think was another nice beat in the uh, the new film where they start doing the family dinners together. Like Willy Wonka now has a family. That's all well and good, but then they still kind of cut out that dad guy that they introduce. Yeah, that's one of my gripes with the Burton version. It's like if everything was resolved between him and his Willy Wonka and his dad, he should have been there. Yeah, I think he should have been there because that would have made everything. It would have made more sense. It, for him. I think we all would have had closure and wouldn't have had lingering questions about, okay, I get that, you know, they kind of resolve their years-long issue with each other, but then he's effectively replaced his former family with this new family that he basically acquired through his own contest. And it, it doesn't make sense because of how close those scenes are together as well. Like, we just resolved the dad thing. And in the next scene, I guess I got a family now. And then, like, roll credits. And it's right. just like... Oh, so what was the point of seeing why, your dad why even, not there, right? Why introduce him? Why resolve it? Why, why, why? That may sound crazy. Was the purpose of that only to explain why he had those purple gloves? Oh, <laughs> you know, like, think about that. Like, are those I, the same gloves his dad used? Well, his dad is a dentist, so he had gloves on all the time. <laughs> they have the scene where the two hug. They're awkward as they go to hug, and their gloves squeak, and then it's kind of points to, hey, both of them are wearing these gloves. And, <laughs> Maybe. And perhaps yeah, Wonka's right. been wearing these in memory of his father. Like, he never actually forgot about his father. But then that message doesn't get driven home when he actually forgets about his father in the very next scene. They make some strange leaps that don't go anywhere. That scene between him and his father resolving everything, it just kind of cuts. He yeah. recognizes Willie. It's uh, his teeth that he's operating on. And then... Hey, reunited, and then automatically just right away to the next scene with Charlie and his family. And yep. There should have been something more there, and I yeah. feel like maybe there should have been a little more emotion with the reunion of father and son, if that's what they're going for when they showed us all those flashbacks. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, throughout the entire film, they keep peppering in this, like, these beats, these jokes about um, Willy Wonka, he's unable to say the word parents. He gets physically, like, sick when he thinks about families. Which is weird that he would invite a bunch of families to a chocolate factory, but okay. Again, like where the like the Apocalypse Now reference came in. Like he's having legit PTSD. Anytime someone mentions anything remotely close to parenting or parents, and then at the end when he finally resolves that, and your big takeaway from the movie is family. His character is not here again, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I do like in the Charlie and Chocolate Factory how he 
was forced to choose between his family and the chocolate and did choose his family. I thought that was a nice little beat. It was. But again, it's like, where's, where's Willie's dad? <laughs> right. <laughs> there are strong moments. There are good lessons throughout the film. But it really gets bogged down in all of the nonsense that goes nowhere. Why does he go to Oompa Loompa Land? Like, you know, like, what purpose does it actually serve? There's another flashback that was just unnecessary. I just don't understand why he has to put on a safari hat and go seek out this indigenous tribe when really you get the same effect in the first films. Like, these are mysterious people. And then, you know, your imagination, and that's a big part of the first film, imagination. So you, your imagination just runs wild with when he describes all these different animals that you've never heard of. Right. I mean, shit, we're talking about the animals. Uh, Wing doodles and, like, what Wing it, doodles, horn swagglers, snozwangers, snozwangers. rotten, vermicious canids. <laughs> nice. So your imagination is just like, what is that? Like, right. You can't even imagine it. And then you see one in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and it's just like a giant bug. Wow, that's okay. Right. <laughs> it's probably better that I didn't see that. Mike's dad's not buying it because he's a high school um, <laughs> history teacher, I think. He's not buying the whole Loompa Land thing, and that makes sense. In the original film, you've got these small orange guys with green hair from Loompa Land. Clearly, no one knows what that is. There's mystery there, and by taking him to the place and then seeing it and having like a context for it, again, addition is creating subtraction in the film. We're like the original film, taking certain things away, taking away the dad is a good idea. And then making certain additions like the fizzy lifting drink, that's a great addition there because it drives the story that you're telling. Whereas like here, going to Loopland doesn't do anything for you. I'm not sure why we need to see where they're from. And I also think not seeing Loompa Land also is like, is he is he being genuine? Is he really right. telling me this? Or is right. it, it's playing into Gene Wilder, what do you want to do? Can you sure. trust this guy? Sure. Is he lying? Is he telling the truth? You don't know. And he's playing with that the whole movie. But here in the remake, you just see, oh yeah, it's, it's a real place. He's not messing with you. Right. It's just the world is bizarre and there's no mystery. Yeah. I like the, I like the mystery that the original movie kind of had there. The new movie hits some moments that are, uh, I guess by today's standards, definitely come across as like insensitive, uh, culturally for sure. Like the way they portray um, like the Middle East when they're trying to get the tickets, um, the way that they portray Loompa Land. He's wearing basically like an imperialist outfit. He goes and he's exploiting these people for... Uh, cheap for labor. <laughs> cheap labor. I mean, essentially he's not paying them. I think he's paying them in... Chocolate. Yeah, beans, chocolate beans. Not even the chocolate. Here's the bean, you make chocolate. You know, you have to make the chocolate. He's, he's exploiting these people's religion because they worship uh, the cocoa bean. I mean, he's got 10,000 gallon chocolate river. What is chocolate to him? You start asking questions that you really shouldn't be asking about because the film decides to take you to places that it really probably shouldn't. I agree. Yeah. You want to talk about the actors? I mean, one-to-one, I, I will say, of course, Gene Wilder's take is legendary. Like, th this is one of the finest films he's ever been in because of what he was able to do with this character and how he was able to make this character mysterious and, like, offbeat. I will say as well, Johnny Depp, pretty good take on the character as well. Completely different in tone, but also the awkward and the weirdness that he portrays. I think it works. Really, it's not his fault that the tone of the film, for me, doesn't make sense for a children's film. He nails the character he's supposed to nail. So they're both they're both good. Obviously, Gene Wilder with the edge. We have two different portrayals, too, because we have Gene Wilder. He's, like, kind of being this sort of jaded, and you're not sure, like, 
that that whole thing he's playing with. Can you trust this guy? Can you right. not trust him? He's playing that the whole time. Then Johnny Depp's playing this man child who's very awkward socially. He has cue cards. He doesn't know how to speak yeah, to people. Cards. That's pretty funny. That was funny. That's I like those funny. TVs. They brought them back. I wish they used them more. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, and he's just really awkward around everybody. And I, and I think they both play their characters well. They portray what they're trying to do, right? Sure. And they definitely do it well. Um, I, I'm with you. I like Wilder's portrayal more. You know, because you can't trust, you're not sure if you can trust him, but there's there's some genuine moments where he's, like, excited. And he's, I don't know, like, Johnny Depp's character, he wasn't even interested in the children. They're like, don't you even want to know our names? He didn't even care. But Gene Wilder was, like, so happy to meet all those kids right. um, when he met them all. There was some genuine excitement uh, mixed in with this jadedness, this, right. this flat little deliveries that were just like every time one of the kids misbehaved, he was just like, no, stop, don't do that. Right. Which is hilarious, which gets more funny the older I get. And uh, Depp's not as cynical. He's actually warning the kids. Sometimes. Right. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't put the gum right. in your mouth. And, but he's still really awkward. He's so awkward, I guess it just makes me feel a little bit awkward. I'm right. not entirely comfortable for this ride. I mean, I understand what he did, though. I finally understood it at the end that he has this man-child mentality. It's that with that man-child mentality that he's able to be imaginative, just think outside the box, to have a child's imagination. Right. And that's, it makes sense that he would want a child as his heir because right. children, yeah, they, they, that's how they think. So when I saw him and Charlie at the end of the movie just, like, talking about ideas they had it's like oh yeah of course that's why he's a man child because right. he's creative and he's being creative with other right. children so I understood what they did not my favorite though I definitely like Gene Wilder's yeah. sarcastic jaded his presentation everything he did it was, just, it was so exciting to watch uh, Gene Wilder after not seeing this movie for so many years Gene Wilder making the choice to do the role at the beginning of the film like the way he introduces himself there's this fun element to him but then there's also like the the mystery. So he's basically showing you from the beginning, nothing is what it seems. I have secrets, I, I have mystery. I won't tell them all in backstories, the right. flashbacks. You won't need a narrator or flashbacks. <laughs> Again, from a story perspective, I, I will say that uh, it does make more sense to warn the kids, like you're saying with Johnny Depp, because ultimately what he's looking for isn't heir, is the next in line. So potentially any one of these kids could have been it. Whereas like the... Uh, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original, that movie actually feels like uh, the more predetermined, even though they reference predetermined in the new film, but like, that one, he seems to have made up his mind about these kids and who's a good kid and who's not. I think he says at the end, like, I knew you could do it, Charlie, right? Yeah. When at the very end. Yeah. So yeah, it almost does seem like more predetermined. Yeah. The original. They don't, uh, they don't directly reference it. <laughs> you can kind of try to make that determination yourself. And what about, how did you feel about the kids? Let's compare the child actors. I'll say this. The original Charlie, I think, is the stronger Charlie, by far. I agree there, um, definitely. He's more expressive of an actor. He really shows what I think this experience is. This is a once-in-a-lifetime journey, and this is your chance to change your entire life. And I think throughout the film, he portrays that pretty well. I will say, though, that the new film, I think the, the kids in the new film, get a little bit more chance to shine, like all the other kids, that is, get more of a chance to shine and actually um, enhance the characters that they are. Like, you get a better take on um, Violet Beauregard. You get a better take on Mike TV. They're a little bit more fleshed out. Those actors did very, really well in the new film. Yeah, I agree with you going back to Charlie. He just showed a lot more emotion yeah. in the original than this new kid. Yeah, I, I don't know. The new kid, yeah, kind of just the same flat beat. Flat, The right? whole time, just like, he's a really good kid. I get that. But he wasn't really interesting. 
he did really stood out. Like I just think of that one scene where Charlie in the original he finds out that the last tickets somebody got it, and then right. you just see him crying. You feel yeah. so bad for this kid. And then the new one, that scene is so quick. The new kid can't even have an emotion when he finds out that the last ticket's been found, and right. then he just goes and buys a candy bar anyway. I wasn't rooting for him as much as I was rooting for the that's, original. Trilogy. That's fair. And yeah, I agree that the kids, I guess they get more, a little more of a backstory in the new version as well. But they're still kind of caricatures. Yeah, right? definitely caricatures. I guess there's just more caricature <laughs> <laughs> happening. Well, I think, uh, yeah, Violet, she gets a little bit more now. She's like trying to get all these trophies. She's really competitive. So they right. give her a little bit more. Kung fu and all that stuff. And then like Mike plays video games now, yeah. I guess, which is Mike, modern. To me, out of uh, the child actors, I think Mike TV and the new one's sort of the standout. He's got a decent amount of lines. He really, like, leans in on being kind of like a uh, complete douchebag. Yeah, like, kind of a know-it-all. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little disappointed by uh, Veruca Salt in the new one. Yeah, the Veruca Salt wasn't as good. Yeah, she was definitely more, like, bratty and, mm-hmm. you know, just... Daddy, I want it now in the original. And then just, while she looked, I was like, wow, that girl really looks like right. the original actress. I always thought Veruca was kind of the leader kid, I guess, when I was younger watching right. the originals. I didn't get that uh, no, sense of this new Veruca. She kinda, was more in the background. She didn't have as much, I guess, to do this time. Yeah, I mean, leader kid in this one would probably fall somewhere between Violet and um, or Mike, Mike T. Yeah. Mike T. Yeah. Leaning towards Violet. Kind of based on the interaction that her and Baruka have where let's be best friends you know yeah. and they, they kind of walk hand in hand and then they're going to betray each other which is a thing that I, I was a little disappointed because like oh they're going to betray each other they're going to do something but nothing ever happens nothing happens that. they should have done something where they should have done something with like Violet like urges Baruka to do something or you know vice versa sure you know have these kids interact more and like be in a competition with each other but instead they're just yeah you know, they don't do anything. it's just kind of flat grandpa fight which grandfather grandpa fight which grandfather Favorite web series. No, I definitely like the original grandpa. Yeah, he's he's got more to do. The new grandpa, he worked for Willy Wonka, and we get this whole backstory to him. But like after he tells, hey, Mr. Wonka, I used to work for you. I don't remember him at At all. all. Right, just kind of. I can't remember him doing anything. That's why the fizzy lifting drink scene is so good because that gives you a moment with your heroes. Right, and then you get to spend more time with them. And so I remember Grandpa Joe in the original a lot. don't remember him doing anything other than just saying I worked for you Mr. Wong yeah. so for me it's definitely the original grandpa like we just saw he's defending Charlie at the mm-hmm. end he's right. doing everything right. and I don't remember what the new one did <laughs> except that he worked for Wonka and told him but I think he did a lot in the new film of the kind of explaining that the kids were bad you know kind of as things were happening but like you know that a great character does not does not make yeah, um, he's just sort of doing the commentary. I'm surprised they didn't just have the narrator do that. Right, right. I mean, they hired a narrator. I also think um, that the original grandfather does a much better job of looking like he had been bedridden for 20 years when he gets out of bed. Like, there's more of a build-up to him getting up. Whereas, like, in the Tim Burton film, it's like, golden ticket, yep, I'm dancing, <laughs> let's do this. And it's like, it seemed like the actors got a lot more of a chance to shine in the, uh, the first film. The way that they're acting actually represents more of what they're trying to get across in the film. Actor to actor right now, clearly I'm thinking the original shit, even like the moms, like Helena Bonham Carter, you know, she gets the job done. The original mom in the other movie doesn't do much either. She does have that song. She does have a song. That's all I really remember. (laughs) She has a song, and then the dad, well, I guess the dad wins out in the new film because he exists. (laughs) 
But he doesn't do anything, so maybe... <laughs> Alright, so he loses. <laughs> because actually, we yeah, we spent a decent amount of time talking about how we wish he wasn't there. So yeah. from that perspective, uh, yeah, the original still wins. What about the uh, parents, the other parents of the kids? I think the parents are a little bit more fleshed out in the new film. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Especially, like, Violet's mom. Yeah. It was actually Violet's dad, and it was Mike TV's mom. But then in the new film, we get Violet's mom and Mike TV's dad. Right. A little change up there. It doesn't really do much to, like, you know, change any of the story or anything. But it was an interesting take. I think of all the kids, I think Violet gets the biggest upgrade. That the whole competitive thing. And then her, her mom kind of egging her on the whole time. I think she's the most interesting in the new film. I think... Um, of, like, all the films, probably, she's, like, the most interesting. Like, of, uh, other than Charlie. Sure, the most sure. One. There's also uh, a little allusion to uh, the fact that, like, she's kind of, like, flirting with Willy Wonka. Oh, romance. Trying, yeah, yeah exactly. I saw that. that was so, like, oh. I don't know if it's um, because they're competitive, if that was, like, her attempt to... Uh, no, maybe just to help her daughter win. Yeah. Give more favor to Violet. Oh, yeah. her mom's be kind of hitting on me, so um, this is the girl I'm going to pick. I could see uh, the motivation there, why she would hit on him if she's not really interested. Right, right. Or she's really interested, which, you know, that could be the case too, but that's not really defined. Yeah. It seems more in her MO to do it for her daughter, I, to help her win. That was sort of my take on what I thought was going on there. I did I did like this in the new movie, what, the end that you actually see the kids after everything's yeah. happened. I thought that was a cool little thing, that they're all like... Some of them <laughs> were like malformed. And right. Like, it was like, like especially Mike TV and Violet. They were just like right. completely changed from the experience. I like that we see it, but I do have a little nitpicking I have with it. It's um, mm. in the original, you don't see them. You just right. hear Willie go, oh, they're okay, but hopefully a little wiser. Hopefully they learn their lessons from right. being bad. It doesn't look like in the new movie that they learned their lessons. I don't think so. It seems like Violet like loves that she's now flexible and then she right. can do all these other right. things. And Augustus just loves the chocolate, and, and uh, Baruch Assault still is like, I want that, Daddy. She's still bratty. So right. The lesson wasn't learned. It's cool we see them, but they still didn't learn their lessons. That, that is more in line with the original source material. You do actually confirm safety from the kids. <laughs> they're, uh, they're okay. They're not yeah, yeah. A little, little beat up, but um, you know, everybody's okay at the end. But that is a good, that's a good observation. You're right. Like, no one really seems to have changed their behavior at all. Which is insane considering what they had all <laughs> what they went through, yeah. Gone through. Okay, what about the Oompa Loompas? Deep right. Roy. Yeah, versus... Deep Roy. Here's here's what's kind of fucked up about it. As goofy as like the CGI he's all the Oompa Loompas thing is, the fact that he had the only real music in the film and it helped break up the monotony of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Deep was there, but in terms of design and like wasn't feeling it. He didn't really give me that magical, you know, he's not orange, there's no green hair. You know, he's short, but like, it's not like. He's just like a really small realm. person. Right. It's he's not, not like, your skin color is a color I've never seen, but right. your hair is a different color. Like, he's he, not like really outside the realm of possibility, you know. He, yeah. Other than that, he is all of them. <laughs> Deep, I think he does a lot of heavy lifting in the movie. Like, thank goodness for some of these breaks. Yeah, it needed some levity, some just just fun. It needed fun, right? And you know, his scenes. As much as I don't really like the music, at least they're fun to look at. Right, they get a little crazy. Like I remember, uh, you know, my fiance we were downstairs watching it, and when they do like the kind of like glam rock, we're just sitting there like, what in the hell is this? Like it, it was kind of hard to watch as well. 
as, again, he did a fine job and actually helps the movie a lot. Still, no, no comparison. The original Oompa Loompas, again, there's legit mystery there. Why are these guys orange? Why is their hair green? I actually don't really want to know, but I'm glad that like I don't know. I agree with you. The mystery definitely makes them the more interesting Oompa Loompa. Mm -hmm. There's just, I don't know. Yeah, you exactly. I want to know, but I don't want to know. I, I, but you're definitely something different right. and magical that I've never seen before. And then Deep Roy, while he's this really tiny person, but right. that's, that's all he kind of looks like. You're a tiny person. I know your backstory. The mystery's gone. The wonder is not there. Yeah, I gotta give it to the original Oompa Loompas as well. Yeah, I almost feel bad saying it, but like, uh, because I think Deep did a good job. You know, oh yeah, saying? I think he did a good job too. Especially like you said, he used every Oompa Loompa, and I, he had a funny beat like when he's uh, Willy Wonka's psychiatrist at the end. I thought that yeah, was, that was pretty funny. funny. That was funny. But you know, it's, it's and when he's like kicking the shit out of Mike TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, geez, man, like that guy's legit beating up a small child right now. But okay, it's an anger issues those Oompa Loompas. Yeah. But, you know, it actually, because of how human Deep is, it's actually harder to stomach the fact that he's in Oompa Loompa, you know? It seems like a person to me. I get that. Maybe if they made his skin, like, blue or something. Yeah, I think, a little I think, bit I think that would have wondering. helped. You have a guy who's going to be working for Cocoa Beans. When, when they're, like, orange and green, as goofy as it sounds, like, it's a little bit easier to stomach, like, all right, these random people working in this factory... Especially because you don't know their backstory. You don't know their right. motivation for being there. Right. Loompa Land is terrible. They're here now. Can I believe this man? I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to go with it. Right. The other one, you're giving this full explanation, and you're just like, I guess. It's right. an explanation. But yeah, just the less is more. Less is more. That, to me, is probably the biggest takeaway from these two films. Remakes are always trying to sandwich in references to the other film and you know, try to do callbacks for the fans. I feel like this movie doesn't give a fuck if you ever watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And in fact, actively references films that have, aren't even in the same genre. Uh, the writer of the screenplay, John August, he had never seen the original film. He was a fan of the book. But, and, and it was important, that I guess, to Tim that he had never seen it because he didn't want to rip off or take anything. Sure. It was very important for them to make this a completely different film. So, well, they, yeah, they, that's they, why there's nothing referenced. Mission accomplished, <laughs> yes. <laughs> None of the joy. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just weird that there's more 2001 A Space Odyssey references in the film than there are Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory references in the film. I get it, though. You don't want to hit the same. Oh, it's because you're every, you're your it's inevitable to do a comparison. Uh, and it, right. If you start doing the same things, right. then you're going to be like, well, I've done better here. I've done better. If you do start doing something a little bit different, maybe there won't be as many comparisons. Yeah. But they didn't True. expect a podcast like this to be yeah, hard-hitting. <laughs> Timely. <laughs> Timely, yeah. Like 13 years later. <laughs> and I guess I should have put it on Front Street, but obviously I have more bias towards the original because I had grown up with it. Sure. And like I said, I've seen it in other forms of media. It's ingrained in my brain, and mm -hmm. I'm instantly going to judge this new movie. I can't separate right. you know, the new from the old. So I know it's going to sound a little bit harsh. Maybe we should say some nice things about the new movie. Nice things about the new movie, um, Johnny Depp nails it. He gets um, the tone of this particular film. Johnny Depp gets it right. He has a lot of the humor. He carries a lot of oh, the yeah, humor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
like you were saying, the cue cards, the getting sick when he's t- thinking about his parents, uh, squeaky gloves are, are a source of humor. That and visually, the CGI, of course, doesn't hold up, but there are some visuals that are still really good. I think when they first go into the glass elevator and you see like the whip, uh, the whipped cream and, you know, different things like that. Chocolate Mountain. I, I think that stuff's great. Tim does a very good job of doing world building. I just think it's probably the wrong world to build, given what the movie's supposed to be about. I like the look of like the Tim Burton art thing. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Like I said, I liked it when they first went in the chocolate room, and then there was like a panned out shot, and it kind of reminded me of like a Nightmare Before Christmas. Sure, yeah, that was a really cool look. And you know, obviously, they got more money and they got more effects. Sure, so it's just it's gonna be pleasing. And I like how the beginning it's, it's very Tim Burton too. Like everything's monochrome, everything looks the same. Remind mm-hmm. me of like Edward Scissorhands, how like right. every house looked the same. Or like even going back, like the toothpaste factory, as much as I hate that scene. <laughs> but I don't know, just making everything look very plain, like right. all the same, just like in Edward Scissorhands. And then when we actually get to Willy Wonka's factory, like everything's really gray and yeah. dull. And then as soon as like we get to the factory, like it's bright and colorful. And I thought that was, that was really nice. Yeah, so I definitely like a lot of the looks and designs. Did you catch that reference where um, they're selling so much candy that Inversely actually creates more toothpaste sales and Charlie's dad loses his job because the toothpaste factory gets enough money to basically automate. Like, I thought that was a... that was fun because I didn't like the dad at all. So, <laughs> so you like seeing the dad Yeah, really. Well, then he got a job repairing it. So he immediately went from a toothpaste cap putter, you know, right. putting on caps to repairing machines. You know, watch the whole film. Don't even remember that. Don't even remember him getting a new job. Oh, yeah. At the very end of the movie, he oh, gets a job again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. The very machine that replaced him. Thanks for telling me, man. The ending I... does drag on a little bit. Oh, uh, that's why really I forgot. That. But, uh... Yeah. This is the positive part. This is the positive part. And um, the boat, the, the, boat, the pink yeah. boat, um, like the gummy, gummy boat. boat. Yeah, there you go. Gummy boat. <laughs> fits, the, uh, fits the original book as well. So I think those things really help. Johnny Depp's portrayal, building a backstory for Willy Wonka, whether you wanted it or not. When they're, uh, they're sitting down with their little family dinner, I forget what the grandmother says about Willy Wonka, like smells like something. Johnny Depp, a.k.a. Willy Wonka, says, you smell like old people in soap. I thought that that was a... Uh, Another funny beat, so I'll give the movie. Oh, that grandma is hilarious. Oh, she's great. She was great in the beginning of the movie. She's great at the end of the movie. I was definitely laughing a lot at her. I also like the, uh, the murder squirrels. I wrote that note. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about... We didn't talk about that scene. Yeah. So in the original movie, it's uh, giant geese laying golden chocolate eggs, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. The Tim Burton one, it's uh, squirrels getting nuts, which is what the book did. What do you think I, about the original movie completely ignoring what the book did and just going this different route? It was probably mostly because it's easier to have geese do that scene than it is to try to like do squirrels. Yeah, So practical reasons. Which is a lot of what I like about the original movie, like um, the practical effects. I tend to like practical effects more than... Um, you know, CGI, and I feel like a lot of times it holds up a little bit better. The geese are actually not as good as the squirrels. The squirrels, I think it's a better scene. It's a little more active. And it actually lets Tim and Johnny kind of explore that dark place that they're so good at exploring together when, like, this girl's being attacked by a horde of squirrels. It's pretty scary. <laughs> it's super scary. And, you know, the father was, like, obviously, like, genuinely concerned and pretty nutty scene. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, damn. That's right. Did you not mean to do that? <laughs> I, I wish I hadn't now. <laughs> but um, I did like at the end when the dad's like looking down his chute and the one squirrel kind of like 
karate kicks him down the uh, down the chute as well. Like I thought that that scene was an upgrade from the original. You know, I guess you know I love the original. I like the song Veruca does in the yeah. original. How she's like just how spoiled she is. And I'm just thinking about it. What, what would I want more? Would I want a goose that laid a golden chocolate egg, or would I want a squirrel that opened up nuts? Yeah. As a kid, as an adult, I would want the chocolate egg. So that's that, super That's just personal preference there. But I did think the squirrel part looks good. I'm assuming it was all computer animated. I'm assuming it looked pretty good. It looks good. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't look that dated compared, for when it was made. So compared, I, you know, it was a really the, good scene. Yeah, compared to some some of the other CGI, like the. Uh, the glass elevator had a lot of trouble with it once oh, yeah. you got out out of the uh, the dark factory. When you started being places with it, I was just like, "This is hard to look at." But like the squirrel, pretty pretty damn good. Definitely some of the best effects in that movie for sure. All right, so and I'm just gonna keep on ripping <laughs> the Tim Burton film apart. So I'm just gonna talk about something I think they could have done that they didn't, and that's just the casting of the kids. Like I said, I only watched this movie twice, so I haven't seen it since I guess it came out. So I forgot who all the kids were. And when they started the Golden Ticket Contest, they right. started showing Japan and India. Right. And I was like, oh my god, they're going to show different ethnicities going to this factory. That's so cool. But nope, they stuck with uh, you know European and American kids. And I don't want to sound like I'm forcing some PC agenda, but if you're trying to make it like the whole world is after this thing, then you got to... Yeah, yeah they're on a little different skin tone. I yeah. like I know the '70s. It's like uh, everybody was white all the time, <laughs> but we're in 2005 at this point. I feel like they could have thrown somebody yeah. just a little bit of culture. You think so? There's no reason why they couldn't have been, you know, people of color in certain instances. I think you're. I think you're right. I think that if you were to do that film today, you probably want to explore that because why have an yeah. international chocolate contest and basically like two places where all the people want it and as a kid right if you're a little kid then you see somebody up there who looks like you then you're gonna you're gonna root for that kid that's gonna be your favorite character like immediately so yeah i think just a little missed opportunity not a big gripe i'm okay with the casting they did but i feel like if if they had done that they would be like oh wow look at that look at that movie good job for me i mean we already really talked about it but a missed opportunity I mean, we all know Johnny Depp can do musicals, so I think it would have been nice to have more music numbers in the film. We see how impactful they are in the first movie, so, you know, the second one, I think that's a missed opportunity because I think it would have helped. I think it's just Tim Burton trying to be more true to the book, Mm -hmm. not adding these musicals. Fair enough. So I I understand why he did what he did. And yeah, maybe it would have been interesting to see uh, Johnny Depp sing some of the original songs. Um, but I guess we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> All right, judgment time. I didn't like the remake uh, a lot. It dragged on a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a competent movie. Like they definitely had uh, a mission and they definitely accomplished it. But you know, I just think the the original is so much more enjoyable. It's you know, it's a kids movie, and it just right. it didn't. The second one or the new one just didn't feel like a kids movie to me. It just it was okay. Um, there's some interesting things, but. Not enough interesting things for me personally. I don't think they needed to remake it. Uh, I know it's more based on the book, but I feel like the first movie said enough. I don't feel like anything Agreed. was particularly added. That obviously the effects, but you know, secondary to story. Obviously, yeah, I think yeah. the first one said everything that needed to be said. So I don't think they needed to make this movie. Didn't need to be made. I'm a, I'm a little bit more okay with the film. 
So I'll say just for to see Johnny Depp's take on this and what weirdness he brought to the character, I think it was worth watching it to see that. Other than that, this movie does a lot of like cardinal sins that films do. Voiceover, you know, bad flashbacks. These things, these are these are what we call tropes. <laughs> and <laughs> if you have a movie full of tropes, it's probably not a good movie. But uh, you know, maybe watch some clips of Johnny Depp doing weird stuff and uh, you know, save yourself two hours. That too, the runtime. Yeah, it just it was longer. It felt you could feel it. It definitely <laughs> felt longer. I kept checking like how much longer is this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you're going to show it to kids, it's just it's. I think it's too long for them. They're they're you're not going to keep their attention. Nah, it's, nah. Long. it's not interesting enough. I believe the official runtime is an hour and fifty five minutes. And when you're talking about kids films, when you're talking about supposedly comedies, you're you're in bad territory once yeah. you get over an hour thirty. <laughs> I don't know. You want some random facts about sure. the other film? Random facts. Um, Johnny Depp was the only actor Burton considered for the role, although, guess who his second choice was? Oh, boy, guess. Um, it's 2005? Yeah. Uh, I wish I had a real guess, but I'm just going to say Nathan Fillion because I, <laughs> I don't have a real one. The Rock. The Rock? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, that would have been lit. Wow. Yeah, in case Depp was unavailable. I thought that was interesting. That would have been... Because he's not even like... You know, he wasn't that big in 2005. No, he was not that big. Not at all. So that would have been a really interesting choice. I would love to see... Especially now. Oh, yeah. Like now, now, The Rock's take on Willy Wonka? Oh, it'd be so much fun. Yeah, sold. So much fun. (laughs) Dude, that guy can do anything. He can even remake Jumanji. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Oh, there's another one we could do. Yeah, shit. (laughs) One of these days... So I, I told you that Roland Dahl, Roald, sorry, yeah. that Roald Dahl, the original author of Charlie the Chocolate Factory, hated the 1971 release, uh-huh. and the reason he hated it was because he wrote the screenplay and there were major changes uh, made to the ending and the adding of musical numbers. These changes and other decisions made by the director led him to disown the film. He was disappointed because he thought too much emphasis was put on Willy Wonka and not enough on Charlie, hmm. and he also didn't like the casting of Gene Wilder. He didn't like the inclusion of Slugworth, and okay. he didn't like the fizzy lifting drink scene. Wow. So he hated a lot of the things that we enjoy. You were yeah. absolutely right when you said that before. Yeah. So he hated so much of this movie I, that we love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a big takeaway. You know, when you're, when you're an artist and you create something, you have in your mind what it is when people start messing with the vision yeah it's like it's your kid and you don't want you don't like seeing people just like yeah what you came up with is no good i'm making it better the other thing though is like you are adapting to screen and when you're making a transition between mediums like that you've got to make choices that make sense and i think that uh though the author hated it as i'm sure many authors do when their things become films they made really smart choices in terms of a film for that I'm, I'm glad they did because I think a good movie was the result of that and Gene Wilder to me you know when you, when you watch a good film it's hard to imagine anyone else doing it and I can't really picture someone else doing that version of Willy Wonka alright so um, how do we how should we end these episodes I think we just meander until we're, uh, we're done talking you know <laughs> You got anything else to add over there? I think we picked a pretty cool subject, you know, the two films. They're very, very close in terms of uh, plot. Overall, you know, like the same thing more or less happens with some changes here and there. But uh, this was definitely a good film to start with because 
they're both in their own right iconic. You know, one probably more so for burden visuals and, uh, you know, the star. The other one for just being like a really good movie and Gene Wilder just like really just nailing it. I think we're going to discover this with a lot of original mm-hmm. that we see the influence of the original, not just, you know, in that movie, but like throughout in other different movies and sure. TV shows. Sure. So the original benefits from that because we keep seeing it. So, oh, it must be good because other people are borrowing from it. Once the generation, the young generation that saw Charlie and Chocolate Factory, once they're old enough to start creating things, will they start doing the same thing and use stuff from that movie and put it in like their TV shows and their movies? That'll be an interesting that, thing to see. It's interesting. Too. I don't know if that's going to necessarily influence the way people make films. Well, you might just see like homages to it in yeah. future movies once these the kids from the 2005 film are grown up. Fair That'll enough. be something interesting to keep an eye on. If it's iconic enough, I know the movie was successful enough in the box office. So you know, a lot of people watched it. Maybe kids who watched it uh, enough times as I've watched the original, you know, decide like, oh, I want to use that in my film. So just yeah. something for all these remakes to be interesting to see if kids are influenced by it. I'm waiting for us to start doing some of these other more ridiculous movies, like uh, hopefully RoboCop's on your list. Oh yeah, um, it's on the list. Cool, cool. Is that new? We get to Scarface. Scarface. Now that that's shit, that's where the remake the, is going to be better. Than that's the where the magic is. <laughs> yes, sir. But, um, yeah, no, you know, more or less, this is a new podcast. We're going to be going over films every other week for, you know, the foreseeable future. And hopefully uh, you guys are enjoying it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Reggie Parker at uh, RP Comedy. And I'm Dan Bulick. So if you have any suggestions, I guess, to contact you, right? Yeah, I guess uh, if there's any suggestions about how to, you know, run this ship a little bit better, you can hit me up on social media. At RP Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I also have an email, regpcomedy at gmail.com. That's regpcomedy at gmail.com. So, yeah, man, any movies you want us to talk about, any suggestions, format, or anything like that, or if you just want to say, good job, guys, a couple of attaboys. <laughs> or if there's something we missed, definitely yeah. let us know. Uh, I feel like we're going to miss a lot. Oh, yeah. We're going to try to. <laughs> So, try to do that in the future. Hey, well, if you do give us anything we miss, I'm sure at the top of uh, future episodes we can uh, shout you out and let you know what you saw that we miss. So, yeah. That's uh, episode number one in the can. There you go. Well, I- I'm Reggie. And I'm Dan. And this was Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. remake. <laughs>